and welcome to the Faith and Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the fourth Sunday of Advent for the week of December 20th, 2020, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast, and it's exciting. We have made it through the to this last Sunday of Advent, and if you're involved in the church, you probably know that this year's Christmas is a little bit different than a lot of other years, and it's probably pretty chaotic right now just trying to figure out how everything's working and how everything's going to happen. And it's not quite like any other year this year, especially because of what's been going on with this pandemic. And in a lot of ways, I think this is something to be really thinking about is this is definitely a year that's going to be unlike any other. And as I'll probably talk about here a little bit during even Christmas, I think this Christmas is the most Christmas-like Christmas we've ever had. The churches are going to, for the most part, be dark a lot of times where there isn't just the joy and festivities. And we think about just how Christ comes into the world. Granted, I will not have podcasts on those specific texts this year, but kind of just thinking about those and pondering those, when we're looking at that, there's a lot of things where it's very similar this year, where if you think about where we're able to kind of romanticize this season with Mary and Joseph and everything going on, but this is normal people. These are young teenagers just going about their daily life, and one of them happens to be pregnant, and they happen to have a child, and yet we have made it something bigger than it really probably was in reality at the moment because we know what happens on the other side of it. And I think that's one of the things that's difficult at times when we look at history and look at life is there are things that we see as really important looking backwards. We don't necessarily always recognize that in the moment. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. And we'll get a little bit here this week out of the gospel text where Mary probably understands that there is significance to this moment. It's just that the people around us didn't recognize the moment. But before we jump into this week's text, we have to look back at last week's Twitter question. The Twitter question we had for last week was twofold. Where have you given up prematurely and where have you judged prematurely? And I think it's something that it's very easy to do, especially if you grew up in a smaller school, kind of like I did, with your own classmates. There's definitely people who I run across or kind of check in on their social media later, and it's, wow, they're doing things way differently than I would have expected. They have really grown or matured or changed since high school. And for me, that's getting to be over 10 years ago now. This idea of we at times freeze people. How often we think about people that I keep getting older, but they don't. So at times, even within our own realities, if we remember them at 14 and it's been 15 years since we last saw them, in our brain, we still see them as this 14-year-old person, personality-wise at least. And I think it's a weird thing within their human experience where often it causes us to be quick to judge or where you look at one reaction of something that they did and it quickly pigeonholes us into looking at that person that way. And if we look even in the gospel text, and we'll see this throughout the year here as we're going through Mark, though the gospel text this week isn't out of Mark, we will see how often we see the quick to judging of leadership within the church at that time, within the Pharisees and different things. And we especially saw this this last year in Matthew, this last year, that there's a lot of times where people 
tried putting Jesus into this box that he wasn't. And we are accused of that just as much as anybody else within our own lives and trying to see people and trying to fit them into these specific boxes. And it doesn't always work that way. And that's one of the hard things at times with faith is we have to be able to look beyond these boxes. So let's just jump right into it. The gospel text this week is out of Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And this is the familiar story of the angel Gabriel coming to Mary, who is engaged with Joseph, and essentially the angel coming and stating to Mary, greetings, you are favored with the Lord. And first, even in verse 29, she's perplexed by these words. The angel then responds, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. And now in your womb, you're going to conceive the son, name him Jesus. He's going to be what has been promised to the thrones of Israel and the ancestry of David, and he'll reign forever and ever. Mary is still obviously kind of shook up about this. How can this be since I'm still a virgin coming out of verse 34? And the angel kind of walks Mary through this and continues to tell that, okay, your relative Elizabeth is now is about to conceive a son. She's in her sixth month, which we learn later that's going to be John. And nothing is impossible with God coming from verse 37. And then we get this quick summary at the end of Mary saying, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And the angel departs. And there's a lot in this text. And in my opinion, this is a text that probably happened over more than a few minutes, probably a few hours or possibly even a few days, because there is a lot to process. And we'll get into that a little bit this week with diving into this text. But there's so much, so much to get into with that text. The first reading this week is out of 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 to 11 and verse 16. So here we are jumping into David, who is with his tribe, and they've been kind of moving around and realizes he talks to the prophet Nathan and it's like, I'm living in this house of cedar, and yet the Ark of the Covenant, God is living in this tent. And you know what? I think he deserves this house. And it's this cool reading here that's been really hitting actually me very hard for other reasons. But where God comes to Nathan and says, I don't need this house. I don't need this house of cedar. See, I've been wandering with these people for all this time, with overseeing all this, going all the way back to Egypt. Why do I suddenly need a house? I don't need this. This is not what I'm asking for because I'm bigger than whatever house you can establish. And so Nathan tells David to not build a house for the Lord. The psalm this week is Psalm 89, verses 1 to 4 and 19 through 26. So this is really an interesting little psalm here this week. The beginning part, the first four verses, is kind of reaffirming the promise that has been made to the people of Israel and that God has chosen these people and he's going to then fulfill this with the line of David. And then we continue in verse 19 talking about how this is how, and a little bit of now us looking backwards, but how this is going to happen, but also talking a little bit about the character of who God is and how this is 
going to change the course of where we're going, that this is going to be the rock on which we're able to move forward. Coming out of verse 26, he shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. So this idea that this is something that is going to connect us further with God and bring us together, yet it's going to change the course of where we're going. The second reading this week is coming from Romans chapter 16, verses 25 to 27, as this final doxology that Paul writes in his letter to the Romans. And so let's just read it. It's so short. Now to God, who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but is now disclosed and through the prophetic writings is made known to all Gentiles according to the command of the eternal God to bring about obedience of faith to the only wise God through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever. Amen. So this final word of Paul reminding us that the power that has been given to us through Christ Jesus and the power that Christ was able to do because of what Christ did coming here out of the Romans text. So before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do our shameless plug. Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. Between their Sermon Brainways podcast, their commentaries, their discussions, having four different seminary professors at Luther Seminary talking about these texts, along with the commentaries from multiple different biblical scholars all over the place, and the multiple other discussions that include other seminary professors. Since I'm that ordained minister, I find myself there on a weekly basis helping build this podcast out of a lot of the learnings and stuff that's going on over there. If you are wanting to dig into these texts a little bit more, I'd highly recommend checking out workingpreacher.org. Let's, before we jump into this text fully, remind ourselves a little bit of what we have been talking about the last few weeks. We've talked about being alert and awake. We've talked about listening. We've talked about paying attention. We've talked about not judging. A lot of different topics like that. And in trying to listen and be prepared and thinking about what is God doing and being open and listening and looking for God, I look at especially the gospel text in the first reading this week, crying out, then you better be ready for change. Let's take a look at this, especially the gospel text, before we even jump into the science of this, because I think there's a lot of things we need to digest theologically here before we can get into the science. So first, here's an angel coming to Mary, right? Mary, from what we can estimate, is probably somewhere between 13 to 15 years old, something like that. This is a very young woman engaged to Joseph, right? These are Israelites. These are people of the chosen people of God, right? These are Jewish people. They have been told their whole life that we're following this, that God is going to come and make us a great nation. They have been told this throughout the whole Old Testament, 
for the most part. It's the promises going back to Abraham that we have seen this line, this continuation. It's part of the reason for the value of the Old Testament to the Christian is seeing the promise of what God has made so that when we get to our Gospels, talking about who this person is, that we have the history of what has happened right? So we have to put ourselves in the shoes of Mary, recognizing that this is what she has been told her whole life, that there is going to be this leader that comes. And when you are talking about making a great nation and they're fighting the Roman empire at this point, they're thinking a big war hero. That's who they're envisioning. And now you have an angel coming and saying, first and foremost, God really favors you. God really likes what you're doing. Huge compliment in and of itself. A hard thing to process. And then the angel continues and, okay, do not be afraid, Mary, because I have more to tell you. You are carrying the son of God who will change everything, right? This is what has been promised to the Israelites for generations, and you're going to name him Jesus. Mary in this moment, in my opinion, is having her whole world mixed up, just shaken up. You have been promised a great leader and suddenly I'm carrying a child. And this 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 child that I'm carrying is going to lead us in a new direction. And you're telling me this now? Like, why are you telling me this now? Why are you having this person come just as a child? Why isn't it already we're raising up a prophet and anointing a prophet like we did usually after they've at least grown some? Why are you telling me this now? And that's where to me, when I look at verse 34, when she's like, how can this be? And there's a comma there is part of her probably just processing all this and just probably spits out since I'm a virgin because it's the first problem among many that are coming. And we get throughout these gospels that have this introductory story mostly coming out of Matthew and Luke and a little bit of John we get this very feminine inside of Mary and we hear this story and you can see her pondering and trying to figure this all out, realizing that in the pondering that this is now changing everything going forward. Everything that they have been told and that what they were in assuming that meant has now been completely shaken up, completely changed going forward. We look at this in the text in the first reading out of 2 Samuel where David decides that we're essentially going to build a temple or build a church here. And especially this year where then God comes to the prophet Nathan and is like, I don't need that. I'm already with you. Why would you try containing me to four walls? I'm so much bigger than that. I've already been doing all this stuff. Why are you trying to make this specific place holy? And I think especially with the way the world is now in 2020 and the year that we've gone through, this text speaks so much where at times have we put this inordinate amount of value on a church building, which is just four walls in reality, that we see this as this is where God is and forget that God is also outside those doors also. You have to remember when God is making this statement, it's changing the concept of how David is understanding God at this time. 
This changes how we understand relationship with God comes out of this text and how he's just with us. He wants this relationship. I don't need a building to do that. And thank goodness, because otherwise 2020 would have been extremely difficult. So how does this all come together with science? What is the science tie-in? Tyler, you're nearly... You're a good section of this podcast. Well, there's a couple ways that I see that this year. And one of the big ones is volcanoes, right? But we first have to understand how volcanoes work. Technically, how volcanoes work is you have the earth crust. So what we're standing on, the weight that we are have, have a downward force, right? Gravity pulling us down. And inside the earth, we have magma, right? And that's pushing upwards. So the technical terms is lithostatic, which is our gravity pulling us down on the Earth's crust, pushing us down, versus magmastatic pressure pushing up. And they're in this fight. And what's in the middle is the rock strength, really the true crust of the Earth right there, holding this all together, right? And how volcanoes happen is that there are changes within that. So, for instance, if we have ocean water getting into the magma section, which isn't uncommon. It happens. There's a cut into the earth and the water from the ocean gets in there. This cools the magma, which then allows for more pressure to be able to build up within the sulfur and water bubbles, essentially just like in a soda. When you shake the soda a little bit, you get that little bit of extra lift, the buoyancy of that. And that's what, with the cooling of the magma, allows for more buoyancy. The other thing is you can have another magma pocket open up so you get some additional magma pressure. And that's one way that these volcanoes can happen. But then there's the two that the amount of earth that we have above it just starts to crumble away. Like Mount St. Helens, that was one of the big causes of that. There was less there through erosion or that we've been moving it. And suddenly now there's less weight. It throws off this balance and suddenly it allows it to go. And the final one is just that the rock strength of holding this balance in between finally gives way and it pushes so it allows things to just push through. Why do I bring this up? I want to bring up there was a volcano, Mount Tambora, which was in Indonesia in 1815 that blew up. Now, granted, there are multiple different types of volcanoes, but we'll just go through the two here that this volcano technically now is. It's a stratovolcano, which is a big like mountain shape volcano. And when this volcano originally erupted in 1815, now granted, this is like the biggest one in modern history. The mountain was over 13,000 feet tall. After the eruption, the place where the volcano is, they now call caldera because there's a big divot and it's now only 3,000 feet tall. The big thing that volcanoes do, not only do they allow and put gases up into the atmosphere, which is arguably why we're able to live on this planet because it helped develop the ozone that we know and helped give us an atmosphere to be able to survive here on this planet is one of the contributing factors and one of the possible reasons that we're able to survive here. But also, it changed the landscape. We often look at volcanoes as just pure destruction, but we have to remember that volcanoes 
are also a big creator. They create rock. The magma, when it comes up, becomes lava is a word that we use once it surfaces, and it creates new rock. The ash and gases that come up, it creates an ash, and the ash gets into the soil and provides nutrients for plants to grow. This volcano going off at Mount Tambora changed the landscape of that area, and it was hard for a period of time. But it changed everything for the better. It provided nutrients for the soil to grow. It provided the change in the area. But things were able to come back. But it changed the landscape forever. It's one of the things that we have to remember and contemplate as we are doing things and looking at things and looking at things with faith. When Jesus entered the picture, things changed forever, just like a volcano changes the local environment and potentially, depending on how big the volcano is, even a larger environment. It's one of the things that actually they're very concerned about with having climate change is having less lithostatic pressure, less downward force, and that with the glacial melt, do we suddenly have more volcanoes going off in these new glacial melt areas? I'll attach two really good videos talking about this down below. I'd highly recommend checking those out. One's from TED Talks and talking about that. An additional one from National Geographic. Really, really good videos. And they help guide me to be able to talk about this. The other video that will be down there this week, again, I would recommend. And if you're wanting to just skim through it, check out the second half of the video. And it comes from Mark Rober. If you don't know who Mark Rober is, I would highly recommend checking him out. used to work for NASA and does these really fun science videos. But once a year, tries to show how science works together for the betterment of humanity. And he goes through in a video from 2019. It's kind of funny because he briefly makes a call out to talking about the next pandemic. And essentially, he didn't realize how close we were. But talks about water quality and how, in this case, Procter & Gamble was making these pellets to be able to put into dirtied water and being able to cause the water to separate. And then has a short discussion with Bill Gates talking about what is the value of this and why. And one of the things that Bill Gates talks about is the value of when you're able to take and make these types of changes where suddenly people don't have to be worrying as much about water quality, that they're able to just collect water and do something to it to make it potable. And making these improvements from the low of the low, the third world countries to develop them to be able to be something, it allows to raise the good for all of us, right? And brings us back around to this idea, if you talk to people around the world, a lot of people would say the smartest person ever was Albert Einstein. And the argument that you could have is that's just the name of the person that we know. Very well could have been someone else and they were just never given the capabilities, the possibilities to be able to become this great person because they were worried about these other things. And that worth working hard to raise up the level of what humans can do, it helps better all of us. To me, when I think about this and ponder all this and think about the change of like what a volcano can do or looking at and thinking about the change if we raised up what the lowest of the low actually meant in our global community, 
to something that's higher where everyone's educated and where we are able to have clean water for people to drink and that it helps them where we're more connected and being able to work together. What does that actually mean for our global community? It's not that much different than what Mary was pondering, what Mary was understanding, what Mary was digesting here in this discussion. The idea of that This is changing how I understand the world around me. This changes how I understand the stories that have been told to me. This changes how we move forward. We get that in the first reading this week on how David has this idea that we can contain God and God's like, I don't need that. I'm already around you. I've been working and I've done this on purpose. I'm wanting to have this relationship. I'm wanting to build something with you, and it's not a physical structure. I'm already with you. Put your time and work and effort into something more to further the kingdom than building me these fancy temples. We even in the psalm, it's the reminder of the covenant that God has made. But then when we read it from this perspective and understand that here's the blueprint of what's going to happen, but we have to remember it's very easy for us to think we understand what that means. Think we put our own interpretation of what that means. The people of Israel interpreting that they were going to get this war leader as Christ. What we know is now is Christ as the leader of the Israelites to raise up this great nation. And that's not what he was. This understanding that there is Here's what this is going to mean, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be in the way that you expect. And I think when we look even at the Romans text in the doxology, understanding that this is what Christ did and this is what it allows you to do. It's putting us in the active. This is not a passive thing. This is something active and realizing that we all then have gifts. We all have different things to be obedient and understanding that God then is going to be working potentially in ways that you do not expect. Is a volcano devastating to an environment at the current time? Yes. Is a volcano necessary for life here on Earth? Arguably, yes. Is a volcano also going to be helpful in turning over the environment to help it to be fruitful in the future? Yes. Jesus entering the world changed things forever, and the projection on where we thought we were going and where we were actually going was much different, and it's that that moment we realized that. One of the things that I've been pondering and thinking a lot about here with just the church and the way that the world is, is I feel that the church in a lot of ways is in this specific spot right now. And I would argue, in my opinion, in the next five years within the church, there is going to be and has to be as much change as there has been in the last 50 years in order for the church to continue to move forward, to survive. Because we are in this moment of this year has opened up so many different things. We are suddenly doing church in a way that we had never expected to. If you told us a year ago at this point that we would be doing Christmas for a lot of us online, they would have told you you're nuts. There's no way that's happening. And yet we've been thrown into this just like Mary, that we are suddenly on a different projection. How often when a volcano explodes, it's not necessarily part of the calendar, not necessarily part of what we were expecting, or the time where people go through to help being able to elevate the lives of others isn't exactly what they're expecting, but they're thankful for it. It changes their projection on where they are going. 
Are we as Christians allowing God to redirect us? That's your Twitter question this week. In this Advent, are you allowing God to redirect you? Are you allowing God to redirect us as a church? Because that's where we are at. We are at this place where things are changing. Just like Mary getting this announcement. Just like David being told, no, I don't need a building. I've already been with you. Why do I need a building? Brothers and sisters, that is where we are at. We don't need a physical building to be the church. We have to understand that and wrap our hands around that and understand that sometimes things are going to be crazy and suddenly the landscape is going to change just like what we are going through right now. The landscape is changing. Are we going to recognize what now the landscape brings that now provides us new opportunities? Or are we going to try making a landscape that's no longer the way that it is, that it was prior to the eruption, and try making it into what it was and understanding that that's difficult now and that's maybe not the way that it should be? There's certain things that probably will remain the same and there's certain things that probably now need to change. And that's okay. And when we look at what Mary's life was pre-Jesus and post-Jesus, we can see that. When we look at our lives right now, and I feel in my bones, when we look at where the church is right now, we are now given this opportunity. And what are we going to do with it? It's an exciting time. It's an exciting time to be able to see that nature does this type of thing all the time. And it's an exciting moment to realize that the church is in the same exact spot. Are we going to allow for that? Are we going to allow ourselves the place, the space to do that? Are we as the church going to be able to do that? Are we as individuals in this Advent season going to allow ourselves to do that? I really hope so. Because especially this Christmas looking different than any other year that we can remember. It allows our minds to reimagine what this season of Advent is really about and what this upcoming season of Christmas is really about. A life-changing event. A moment where things directly made a right turn abruptly. And yet, it was for the better. I think we can all say that being on this side of the cross. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.